and you're listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che, Hurricane Cheney, and Pav, Wonder Woman, Wonder. We talk casually, yet poignantly, about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come and hang out with us. We're always in the mood for a great conversation. Welcome to episode 62 of the Staff Room Podcast. Today, we are talking about mindfulness, mindful meditation, and how we're using it in our classroom spaces today. We're very excited to jump right into this conversation, but first, we need to introduce ourselves. My name is Pav Gentle Autumn Rain Wander. And I am joined by my co-host, who is sitting right next to me, but he usually introduces himself. It's me in the staff room podcast. We've got a thing going on. Yes! <laughs> Help me, Pat! Wow, Che. That was very impressive. You got that You got that note pretty uh, pretty down cold there. I'm going to have to hear it in the playback to see if I really got that note or not. <laughs> That's a pretty good falsetto. <laughs> well, you know, me and Billy Paul, we got a thing. <laughs> I love that. Keep going. I'll just listen to that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I only know a couple of songs. Okay, and, then right. I, and then I would hum the rest. Okay, all right. All right. Gamble and Huff. I know who wrote it. I know it's produced. Like, I got, oh. But this, this is, like, is not to drive. I was though. just going to say, is this, this is like drive conversation. Let's get serious. Okay, here we go. We are talking about mindfulness and meditation and all the different ways that we can offer our students a little bit of stress relief. And uh, Now, Pat, I'm, I'm going to cut you off because mm-hmm. I know you're going to go first because we actually have, I wouldn't say a plan, but we have a loose outline, but... The last few ones, you know, I've had a little bit of an anecdotal story mm-hmm. that sort of set us up for why we wanted to talk about it and gave us a little bit of intentionality on monitoring how we were teaching or in, in infusing new things in our teaching so we could, uh, you know, talk about it rather than pretend we've done it and talk about it or, you know, uh, talk about that we know as teachers that someday we'd like to try this, but mm-hmm. maybe we'd like to try it, but we've actually tried it and so this is the perfect time for you to talk about your little anecdote that sort of got us talking and got us ready for this week's episode yeah absolutely uh you know this has been an interesting year we as teachers definitely are feeling that regardless of what our teaching scenarios are you know whether we are fully online virtual whether we are face to face whether we are hybrid whether we've started one way and ended up another things are things are constantly in flux they're constantly changing and um you know we as teachers as educators uh, as administrators we're feeling that but our students are feeling it too 
Obviously, we know that they must be. Um, and uh, finally, I would say that after two months of being in the classroom, my students, we started to take a little bit of a breath, like we settled and it took us a long time to get there. I know that you had a really great like, I wouldn't say great start, but you had a little bit more of a consistent start with your class. You were in your one space. It was enough space for your class of 13, 14 kids that you started with. You were still kind of hovering around that same amount of students. We did not start that way. We started, I had a class of 24. However, 24 students were not coming to school. It was probably more like 15, 16, 17, and that number was changing every single day. We started off in a classroom space that was way too small for the amount of students that are in my space. And then we moved to another classroom. Um, we needed to move to a bigger space. So we moved into what we thought was going to be a bigger space, which was the cafeteria. However, just because of the way that the, the room is laid out, it wasn't enough space. We found that we still were not two feet up or two, uh, two meters apart from one another. So we needed to move to a bigger space. And so now we, we are in the gym. I've posted many a picture of my students in the gym. Uh, we are in a huge space, but three moves. It took us three classrooms to finally get settled. It took, that was probably the first month of school alone. Getting used to that big of a space is still proving to be a bit of a challenge. We finally, this past week, I looked at my class. They were highly frazzled. You know, they were out at recess or something. They came back in and they were just like wired up and something was going on. And I said, now is probably a really great time for me to get a handle on how these guys are feeling and how they've settled. You know, to ask them in the first week of school, the first two, three weeks of school, you know, how are you guys feeling? I know what I'm going to get from them at that point. But what I'd like to know now, after two months, is how have you settled? How are you feeling now? How were you feeling then? And so we had a great conversation. We talked for about 15, 20 minutes about all of the different ways that they were feeling anxiety and stress. And each and every one of them had their hands up for one or another part of that conversation. You know, I am feeling stressed. I was really feeling stressed. How many of you felt like this year was uh, really difficult to start? How many of you really did not feel like coming to school when we first started school? How many of you were not sure whether you were going to like this or not? It was a, you know, a real eye-opening moment for me because I knew that some of them were going to feel stress. I did not expect all of them to be feeling some sort of stress or anxiety or, you know, just uh, pressure. Um, one of the students in the class actually described it as a physical tension, like my, my body feels tense and that was their actual words to describe how they were feeling. So we had a lot of great conversation around why we probably needed to practice a little bit more mindfulness in our classrooms. And it led you to, you know, to make changes to your plan. And, and it was great that this story was, the, you listened to your student's story and then it changed your practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you came and said, we need some new techniques. We need to do some uh, meditation techniques. We need to, now that I, I get a better sense of how you're doing, I'm going to change, I'm going to shift, I'm going to alter the way I want to construct my lessons. And then you, 
I, I see you. You're ready to go again. I jump right in because I knew that that conversation you had with your class propelled how you wanted to teach. And when you were sharing that with me, it triggered some of my reflections on what I was doing. Uh, and I'll come to those later. But I think I want to come back back to you. Actually, is um, what were the how did you then turn this back into your teaching? How did you embed some meditation in your program? Um, and once you saw how necessary or you felt how needed it was, or you wanted to provide students a way of coping or a way of even beyond just self-analyzing, now that we've self-analyzed, self-assessed, let's have some tools. It wasn't just merely to talk about it. It's talk about it to put us on a path to bettering ourselves, supporting ourselves. So why don't you jump right back in and sort of lay the foundation, some of the things you started to do. Yeah, so thank you, Che. It, you know, mindfulness is something, it, it's, it's been a buzzword, and I don't even want to like, I don't like to say it was a buzzword, but we've been paying a little bit more attention to mindfulness over the past couple of years uh, within education because we know that our students do experience these kinds of stressors in their lives and they and they come to school with a lot of baggage you know they come with their their backpacks are filled with all kinds of stuff that they're bringing to school with them so we know that uh, you know it's part of our job to sort of address those things so that we can get we can get to the whole child and this is something that we've been doing in our classroom spaces for some time you know you've been practicing mindfulness in your class i've been practicing mindfulness in my class i don't want to say that it's been passive but this year it's been different this year it's this year it's been different because i really feel like my students are are experiencing this stress can there, I can I jump in and say maybe, maybe it's a little different because we're feeling it a little bit more and it makes us a little bit more aware that our st- students are feeling it. That I, awareness piece is key. I could jump in and say that I'm not as I don't want to say uncomfortable, but I I realize that I'm in a different place of teaching. My teaching has changed, it's altered, it's shifted, and so I become more aware. Maybe ask a few more prompting questions. Usually, I come a little bit more intentional. But I loved your what it's just it's different. It's mm-hmm. different. You don't want to make it's not a new buzz. It's not a new pedagogy that we'll use now for a year and then it'll no. come back again in no. twenty. Uh, sorry, I had to cut you off, but I was just connecting to what you were saying there. Yeah, no, the intentionality part is absolutely key. I was coming to that part as well. Um, part of what is different is that we are so much more in tune, so much more aware of the fact that we are in flux, right? Everybody is in is in some sort of change at any given time. You know, we don't know what things are going to be like a week down the road. We don't know if our schools are going to be open. We don't know if we are going to be in quarantine. We don't know what our life is going to be like in a week. We can't predict it, you know, and it's to the point where we expect that unpredictability because it's what's been happening for the past eight months. And so our students, if we are feeling it, absolutely our, our students are feeling it. They know what's going on. They see the news. They know what's happening in the world right now. And so they know that it could be at any given point in time, we could be learning in an online situation. And so that intentionality, absolutely it shifted the way that I was intending to lead my mindfulness program in my classroom Sometimes. this year. Sometimes I wonder if it's not the students that are dealing with more stress, 
we're more aware of their stress because we're stressed. Yes. When I think of the 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 anti-racist lens and a lot of one of the initial things when COVID-19 started was, well, this last of, lack of technology and access to technology really uh, represents this this gap we have, this issues we have. And now now we see it. Now we can address it. And I, I remember saying we've always had these issues and we're going to mm-hmm. still have these issues. But we were just given the luxury of now being, you know, gifted it to us. Mm-hmm. We could see it so clearly. And I think a little bit here when you're talking, I'm thinking the same thing. Our students don't have necessarily, I don't want to trivialize their stresses. They have new stresses, but they've always had stresses. And when I think on on my 20 years, I've taught in the same school. I've taught in, in, in a community that, that has needs. And I've gone through lots of difficult um um, things I don't want to I don't want to sensationalize them, so I won't go through them specifically. Uh, but it rem- I start to think perhaps I get like complacent and I've been static and even static in my growth. Although I've grown every year, there's still like some it, there's still some formulaic to it that it's still very casual and it's very controlled. And for me in this new situation, I've had to. I don't want to say outside my comfort zone because you know I'm I'm not a fan of that comfort that that mantra of comfort. I actually learn I don't I don't I don't ever want my students uncomfortable to learn. So I don't necessarily think I do my best learning uncomfortable either. But I certainly know sort of the trend of how I've been teaching and how I've been doing my PD. I love the word you use. It's different now, and it becomes more aware because maybe even regardless of the the situation I'm teaching in that has real issues, that daily issues, daily pushback, daily challenges. I still got in a sort of a groove in a in a set set of ways, and so my set of ways have changed maybe more than my students. And although my students do have new legitimate stresses, I'm willing to bet they always had stresses that maybe I, I missed because I wasn't given such a, a a window to see right in. There was things that were blocking it. Maybe my own complacency, uh, maybe students' complacency. Now there's maybe even more of a venue. To, to share this information, this is part of what COVID-19 has done. So as you were sharing that, I jotted a few notes, some personal self-reflection notes, is that are our students more stressed? Maybe their stresses have differentiated, but perhaps my stresses have uh, accelerated and it makes me more aware of one of my own, but then it makes me more intentional to be mindful of the stresses of the people around me that maybe I had missed in the past. Well, this is just it, right? Like the the stresses that we ba- bring into the classroom on a day to day basis, we know we know what they are. We we are bringing them with us every single day. We expect our students to also be bringing their own stresses, but because our stresses don't match up, you know, they're dealing with the things that they have in their lives. We're dealing with the things that we have in our lives. Those two things are probably very different, but now we are aware that their stresses are similar to our stresses. And therefore, we are more aware and we are more able to address them because we have more awareness and more knowledge of what those stressors might be. And uh, I like that you brought up that equity piece because it was um, very much, you know, now, now we actually can see where some of those stresses come from because we can't reach our students if they have access to the same things that we have access to. And now suddenly we are really feeling that it's not fair that they don't have access to the same things that we have access to. And they should have access because otherwise, how can we make this work? And so, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, fine, not finally, but now we're sort of on this 
level playing field. We're all uh, equally worried about what is coming next. And so why not go through this journey of mindfulness and awareness together so that we can continue to help each other through this process? We're all in one front dealing with the same social stresses, the, the where we can go, how right. we can hang out, right. our, our inability to hang out with people. And for long periods of time, we, we get more... I don't even know, I don't want to list off a list of what things we become more of, but we're all sharing. We all have a shared experience. Yes, exactly. And a share, a lot of shared feelings, regardless of maybe of all the individual activities are different. The shared feelings, because it's a shared experience. We are heavily restricted and and regimented right now. And how are we coping in with ways we haven't had to cope before? Right. Where something like going to the store and getting milk is different. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to trivialize the the privilege piece in this because there are definitely people in this situation that have a lot more privilege when it comes to their access to the things that are available to them during this time. So I, I'm not saying that we're all in the same playing field. I'm I'm just saying there's parts. There's the the, the feelings. There's right. an equality across the feeling. Certainly, right. in regards to situation and circumstance, there are certain parts of the community that are going to be more in increase disenfranchised because of this and there's certain parts of society they're going to come out even better even stronger even as you're talking about tech it reminds me of a interlude i have sort of penned up about uh, tech and beyond and still the the anti-racist lens and the equity lens and you know coming back to school and although we have tech it i will divert because i when you were talking about that i i said i've got something for this but this is about meditation and and all these stresses and all these emotions as i start to bring us back was about how was i going to be more intentional in my class to set up really mindful meditation for sort of that social, emotional, that wellness component of our students and for ourselves. Yeah. Because to invest this time in our teaching and make it more uh, cemented in our daily schedules is also good for us. Yes, absolutely. Why shouldn't it be good for us? Why shouldn't we be doing things in the classroom that could be beneficial to ourselves as adults as well? So, um, you know, in my space, we we started off this conversation with, uh, you know, talking, just really talking. You know, what are you guys experiencing? What do you, what are you feeling? What does stress feel like to you? What what uh, what do you go through when you experience what you think stress is? And what are some of the triggers that get you there? So what were some of the activities you did? I'm thinking like for this episode, let's get to some of your activities yeah. and I'll go, we'll talk a little bit about some of the research. We'll dive into a three enlightenments and then we'll come away with a sweet swag bag. I love it. And we'll be done in 30 minutes. That's right. But if you look at your timer and it says 4550, meh. So <laughs> tell us, what were what, what have you done in your class? Yes, I'm getting there. <laughs> I know you have. I know you are. So, but I've got a thing talk- going on. Hey, why don't you start off with that interlude? <laughs> I noticed I brought the falsetto down, way down, because oh, yeah, I, yeah. I can maintain it. Yeah, that's All right. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's hear. <laughs> okay. What do you got? Do you mean what you got doing in your class? Only so I can take notes and start using it next week. All right. Are you ready? Or are you going to go again? <laughs> okay, here I go. I'm ready. So we, we talked about we talked about what the stress feels like. And then what we did was uh, we went outside 
And, uh, and I, before we went outside, I told them that when we go out there, we want to focus on exactly what we are seeing, uh, hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling. We, we talked about, you know, when you experience something, what are some of the ways that you experience something? And then somebody brought up, you know, we sense it, we, we feel it, we touch it, we can smell it. And so, um, what all I said to them was, we're going to go out there, we're going to sit in some silence, and then we're just going to do a guided meditation meditation together. Um, and, and then there were some glitches because it was excruciatingly cold and, uh, very windy that day. And so we went out there and there's papers flying all over the place and, you know, kids are, their, their chairs are getting knocked over before they can actually sit in them and they're freezing cold. And, um, you know, although it was a very nice and sunny day, it was, it was blisteringly cold. And, uh, so we went out there and I said, all right, you know what, we're going to go back inside to do our actual meditative part. But what I want you to do is just spend 60 seconds, one minute, just sitting in silence outside. And it's okay if you're shivering, because I want you to just become aware of everything that you're feeling right now, right? We won't be out here very long. So let's just come. We're well-dressed. We're, we're okay with this. We're just going to sit and we are going to just experience what we're feeling, right? And I want you to really, really concentrate. So I want you to focus on your five senses. What are you tasting? What are you smelling right now? What does your skin feel like? Um, you know, and so we, we used all of these prompting questions to just be aware. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with that awareness at that point. I just wanted them to become aware and we would, you know, talk about all of it later, but I wanted the awareness to be there. I wanted them to really focus on what they were feeling. And then when we went inside, we did a, we used actually my calm app it has a kids section and it breaks off this guided meditation for different age groups, starting with age three to five, which is unbelievable. I would love to I actually have not listened to it yet. I'd love to try it and see what it's like all the way up to 14 to 17, that age group. And so there is one for 11 to 13 year olds. And I played that one and it's about 12 minutes long, which sounds really long, but the kids were into it. They were really into it. And I think that going outside for that two minutes, five minutes that we were out there, it really helped because when they came back, their bodies were a little bit tired, just like your bodies are tired. When you go through a very stressful moment, a uh, point in time, you feel that exhaustion and then sitting just in silence. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the ability to dim the lights in the gym. It's either on or completely off. And so I would have really liked to just dim the lights a little bit so that, you know, we can rest our eyes a little bit better. But those 12 minutes, they were silent. They were pin drop. They were listening intently. They all had their eyes shut and they were doing exactly what I, what the, the guided meditation was asking. And when they came out of it, they loved it. And I have done guided meditation with my classes in the past, but I almost could physically see their shoulders just starting to relax. I could just see their faces being like, thank you. We really needed that. And, and I know it was only just the first time and, and maybe the second, third, fourth time, it won't be as, 
you know, as, uh, you know, new, right. When things are new, they, they really suck them in and take them in with a different kind of uh, veracity, but they, they enjoyed it and they were, you know, I would say 95% of them were excited to do, or were really ready to do that again in a few days. And so, you know, we left very positively and many of them said that really helped me. And, uh, and I was really excited to hear that as well. I love that story. I love that app. So I'll have yeah. to download it now because, you know, <laughs> the funny story is you told me when this was being given away for free, uh, the educators, and of course, I listened to you. And <laughs> you heard what I had to say. I, I completely heard, and I, I was in total agreement, and I just didn't download the app, and now you have the app, and I do not. You know, there are some things, Che, that if I have access to, I just do them for both of them. When you find treasure, you should be passing it along. I Well, I did pass it along, but I do not have <laughs> access to download apps to your phone for you, unfortunately. Uh, I'll be working that out when this episode is here done. <laughs> Because <laughs> as pirates, we know how to use our phones. Yes. <laughs> um, that hurt. That hurt my throat more than that my was... Billy Paul impression. Oh. Um, and you know, when we do these uh, episodes uh, now, now, mm. now we do a little research more than just merely our reflections. So when we got set up for this episode, so we got to, you know, I know you had some really great examples and I, I knew I had some things I wanted to connect with and share but I said we, we gotta we gotta dive into the research as well and and there's an abundance of research oh, on so much meditation meditation for children what we can we use what what are the examples what are the types what are the whys and I I condensed it into what I thought was most practical for me and my students connecting to things I had done in the past and you can go out there and you can explore further. But, you know, I wanted I, with the middle schoolers and I, I don't want to say because you don't need to have the why for the younger kids because I don't have that experience. It's not for me to say, but I know with the middle schoolers, you want to bring in a new pedagogy, a new lesson, a new activity. You can sell them. You can get the buy-in when you because they can appreciate the why. Because they're always going to question, why am I doing it, Mr. Teeny? Now I can tell them the why. And there are so many whys to, to meditation. And, and and sort of my key takeaways, I thought the, the, the best one that I wanted was uh, processing your emotions. Understanding it's okay to be really high. It's okay to be really angry. I, I thought of my coaching is that when you know sometimes you know what I, I have a great volleyball team and or and I but I've also included every player or everyone that tries out. But that also means that not every player can play. And I got to coach this and I got to go through the why. And, and part of my why has always been explanation of it's okay to be angry because you're not playing because you should want to play. So the anger is a natural emotion, but how can we calm ourselves? How can we still give positive energy to the team to help the team propel forward? And so when I was going through some of the the literature, I thought processing emotions was key because we don't want to say you can't be angry, you can't be happy. You, You want to understand why you're going through the emotions and appreciate them, but also understand that I can be angry because I'm not playing, but that doesn't mean I want to protrude all the anger all the time. I got to find a way to, one, find a way to express it in a, in his, you know, cordial way as I can, but then also be able to turn that and flip it because I, I've gone through that emotion. Understand those emotions are important. As an athlete, of course you want to play. Of course you want to be the star all the time. And when you're not, it's absolutely okay to be angry. You know what? On the court, there's gains. I've had great successes, but 
Every success feels really good because you have monumental failures along the way. And it's okay to have been angry in those moments. And I often think um, I would call timeouts when we were about to lose a game or about to win the game. Not to talk about the, we need to set this play, to talk emotion. And so, you know, if we were about to win, let's make sure our emotions are in check. We're, we're proud of our victory. We want to celebrate, but we don't want to rub it in anyone's faces either. So we're going to contain our emotion. We're going to be happy with, with a certain calmness to it. And then if we were down and, and it was a game we'd wanted to win, I'm calling a timeout when we're at 23 points to say, hey, listen, it's okay to be upset. We know we wanted more than this. We know our goals were higher. We haven't hit our goals. We're just going to tip our cap. We're going to be we're going to find a place later to be upset where we don't necessarily demonstrate to everyone else around us that we're upset because we're, you know, you're at a tournament, there's lots of spectators. You want to just be uh, mindful that you're going to be upset. That's the right emotion because you wanted to win, uh, but let's just fixate on our emotions. So I thought one of those great reasons behind the meditation was processing our emotions, understanding and owning them. Can I just jump in just for... No! So when we were talking about this, I just want to jump in because I this wasn't a real life experience that we had in regards to the conversation that you or the the great information that you just provided. Um, you know, our my students were we were talking about you know all of the ways that they feel stress, and and I asked them a very simple question. I said, "Do you think that meditation is going to help you get rid of all of those feelings?" and make them disappear. And all of them put their hands up. And I said, I'm really, really sorry to break this bubble for you, but that's not what meditation does. Meditation doesn't alleviate all of those feelings. Unfortunately, those feelings of stress and anxiety and sometimes depression and things like that, they exist when you're an adult too. Even if you are someone who meditates regularly or practices mindfulness regularly. And it wasn't to burst their bubble or to have them feel like, what's the point? It was to make them aware of the fact that the point of meditation is actually to be able to be super and hyper aware of your emotions and the things that are happening around you and to find really good ways to cope and to have strategies to harness and access those emotions and just to, you know, be okay with them. So as you were saying that, I was really thinking about some of the research that I was doing on mindfulness and, and helping my students to understand that the point of mindfulness and meditation is not to get rid of those feelings altogether, of those negative feelings, and to just be happy all the time. That's not realistic. The point of meditation is to be able to access, be aware of, and then harness and then cope with those emotions because they are going to exist when you are an adult as well. I think uh, your word cope lets me into the second point that I highlighted. And of course, I'll, I'll reiterate. There was lots of different whys. I just picked ones that I felt connected and resonated with me and with my experiences. And the second one was refocus, recenter. Uh, and again, it's again owning the fact that I'm going to be angry, I'm going to be upset, but because I can appreciate it, understand it, like understanding why you're upset will, I don't want to, I don't want to affirmatively say it keeps you from lashing out and being upset, but at least it, it, it helps you refocus and recenter. And sometimes when you're angry, knowing that it's okay to be angry, I think alleviates a lot of the stress behind the anger. When I think mm -hmm. of those, you know, overly simplistic volleyball expressions or high competition expression, uh, uh, experiences. 
And then the one I found actually really neat, which stood out, was the idea that uh, meditation was really great for idea building and creativity, that that calmness and that reflection piece was ideal to cementing uh, ideas and thinking and curiosity. And we've talked a lot about curiosity and inquiry and exploration, and we always uh, often connect that to like questioning and playing. But part of it is also just sitting and thinking and meditating and it fosters creativity and it fosters you know idea thinking so i actually went in my research found ooh, that's a really good one because i hadn't really thought of that as one of my two or three things that i think i would have just mentioned off the top of my head in reflection i think i would have come up but with processing emotions and recentering based on experiences but my reading really helped me with that ideas and creativity I'm going to link that idea, the creativity uh, in regards to meditation back to the breathing. Uh, you and I have both read that amazing book called Bre- uh, called Breath by James Nestor. And uh, in that, we talk, we, we learn a lot about the benefits of breathing and consistent breathing. And consistent breathing is a key component of meditation. Key. It is essential. You have to be focused on your breathing. And I think that it's actually the breathing techniques and the breathing process that allows the mind to become clearer and therefore allows that creative function in there. And so I think that, you know, that meditative process that involves the breathing and the, the, the focus comes with the consistent breathing. And so I think that that is a very key part of it. And I've been trying to be very much more intentional with my class when it comes to breathing techniques. I love that breathing. It's been one I've been using where maybe Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily think of it as meditation type techniques, but it's been one I've been using all year long. Um, For the reasons why I got it again, I I expanded and I started to think about what are the types, you know, if I were a teacher, what types, when I think of meditation, what am I going to use? What types of meditation are there? You brought up a great one of breathing. And then giving the why of why it's actually beneficial, uh, why it does help you process emotions, why it does give you that refocus, that recenter time. And so, I again, it's lists where you can find different lists and different things and different types everywhere. And I and I got a couple, and and you can you know add on, pick apart. I thought breathing was it's not on the top of my list. Not that my list is necessarily ascending, but breathing was there. Uh, movement. When I think thought of yoga, that movement. Uh, I thought was critical part and I can connect back to gym classes I can connect back to wellness activities that we'll talk about after our break Uh, sound music soundscape you know early on and I think episode two of the staff room podcast don't go back and listen because you (laughs) won't listen again Um, we've evolved but we've talked a lot about the the power of scores musical scores and soundscapes to really being beneficial and calming and some of our other projects we've been working on we've been talking a lot about sort of that soundscape behind the scenes to really create calm one and how we use the sound in our music and what we use our music for in regards to activities Um, and then I had one here that I copied uh, jotted down I found was visualization Visual meditation, lots of visual stimuli. It's not necessarily overwhelming, 
but we can control and have that meditation. Because I think sometimes of the joke of the day I have on the board, because I always walk into the room and I got, I want to have something on the board. I want to have something on the screen so that I don't necessarily, students aren't waiting for me to be the cue to start the class. There's an image, there's a picture. And I think about my earlier days, I would just put a comic, I would just put a joke, but I started to switch what that image might be. And so when I thought of meditation visuals, I said, yeah, yeah. Because when I know when I got kids coming in the morning, I, I always want them to have something that draws their attention without the teacher having to be the draw of attention. We're not waiting for the centered teacher to start the lesson. There's stimuli, there's things on the board. So, you know, I've always got a joke of the day, word of the day, phrase of the day, uh, uh, image of the day. And I don't go through them all, but I make them visual cues that some days I'll talk about one or two. Some days I'll never talk about them, but they're always there. And some days students will reference them because you'll you'll walk in the room behind them and you'll see them all staring at the board, looking all, at all the options. And then sometimes they have no impact and sometimes they do have impact. So I like that, that visual stimulation, that visual meditation that the right picture can just put us in not solely that it has to be pictures but when I connected to my own practice I thought about pictures on the board to start the day it can be a real cue to that meditation yeah, those are some really great ones and I and I know that there are some others and there are some other really great ones that I like to use in my classroom too but I think that we really should get to our three enlightened minutes guest and then come back and talk about some of those other things and then we can wrap up the episode she as has well. been waiting patiently she has been she's been sitting and she took a little nap and then you know it's time to go all right she's, so. she's like I thought you guys promised this would be short <laughs> I know and it's 36 minutes <laughs> later but anyway think on it process your emotions before you lash out at us yes <laughs> but, but you can, and I'll understand why. Today's guest is Daphne McManamy, and she is a K-3 educator from Oakville, Ontario, Canada. And she is also the managing director at Codebreaker. So uh, here is Daphne to talk about computer science in the younger years and why it's so important. Here is Daphne with her three enlightened minutes. Hi, my name is Daphne McMenemy, and these are my three enlightened minutes. I am an educator and have spent the last 15 years in the K to three space. I've spent the last three years in kindergarten. This year I moved into grade one, and that is definitely where my heart is. Our early learners are my favorite kids to be around. I currently live in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, and I work about 45 minutes east of here in a city called Brampton. I am also the managing director for a company called Codebreaker Inc., where I spend a ton of time getting to create and make and edit amazing books and collaborate with amazing authors and bring their story to life. It is a pretty epic ride that I am currently on. My mission in life is to introduce our youngest learners to computer science. Um, I really believe that it is our responsibility as educators to give our youngest learners these experiences and opportunities to step outside their comfort zone and to take those risks that allow them to discover their passion. And that passion may just be computer science. Computer science in the K-3 space is so often looked over. Many people believe that our youngest learners are just too young and I am on a mission to prove otherwise. Our youngest learners can offer so much in our CSN space. They just need the opportunity. They just need the chance to take those risks. Um, 
About five years ago, I went to a conference and met a teacher who was teaching her kindergartners how to code. And the first thing I thought is, I need that to happen in my classroom. So that's exactly what I did. I brought these robots into my classroom and I learned how to code alongside my very hesitant grade one learners that year. And the first thing I noticed was how it changed them and how my scared learners, my kids who were afraid to take those risks, afraid to be wrong, afraid to make mistakes, suddenly became these kids who were huge risk takers. And not only were they taking these risks, but they began to teach other kids all of these new skills that they had learned. Um, you know, coding for them was so much more than just sitting behind a screen or playing with a robot. Coding for them was all about those soft skills and building that perseverance and that collaboration and that risk taking and that confidence. And it was amazing to, to watch and to be a part of. As a result, I wrote uh, a story called Gracie, who is uh, a little girl, a hesitant learner, until her teacher introduces her to coding and robotics. And Gracie is the story of my kids, these kids who needed somebody to introduce them to a new way of learning and a new way of thinking. And suddenly they were hooked and suddenly they weren't just going through the motions of school, but they wanted to be there. And they started on this path of discovery that they created for themselves. And it was all because I took a risk and brought this uh, very, very new learning for me and them into our classroom. So my future mission is to continue to bring the story of Gracie to educators everywhere and to show people how amazing this kind of learning can be and what it can do for our students and how they can develop as learners by simply allowing them to take the risk and to take the chance. Now back to you, Jay and Pav. And we meet every day at the same cafe. And that was Daphne with her three enlightened minutes. <laughs> you know, Daphne has Daphne has two really awesome books out uh, that I really wanted to point out. Uh, one of them is called, where did I write it down here? Because I didn't want to forget. Gracie, an innovator doesn't complain about the problem. She solves it. And the other one is what happens when I learn to code. There were some great books, especially now in Ontario, coding is part of the curriculum. Such a great way to introduce coding in your primary classroom, in your K to three classroom uh, with these two books. Even beyond coding, just her mission to mm -hmm. make computer uh, technology access usability a thing. Yeah with uh, the younger students is important. And as a middle school teacher, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be passionate enough or knowledgeable enough to make a stand, like when I think of like a school improvement committee to know. And I, and then when I start to think of my youngest daughter, yeah, hundred percent, you know, what's helped her digital learning is her ability to use and, and, and dive into the computer and make things and create things on her own and consume things and know how to click and know how to dive into Google Slides. I said, yeah. So when and when I was listening to that one, I was like, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah. But as a teacher and a middle school teacher, I don't think I, 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 it's not that I would disagree. I wouldn't know enough of the why to be able to articulate. And maybe if it was on a school improvement committee, I wouldn't have that passion to, to say, we need to invest on this for our, our primary kids. Certainly with 
uh, my youngest daughter, I see the value and her passion to make sure that our K to threes aren't, I agreed with her statement as sort of a secondary thought. We need to make sure our middle schoolers or older kids have access to that technology. But sometimes the, the younger ones get sort of, I wouldn't say left behind, but just it's an afterthought or maybe it's a thought of we have to ascend to the computer skill rather than thinking we should embed and start the computer skills at a very young age. Well, I know that this is a topic for another time because this could be an entire conversation. Just because students are good with the technology that they are familiar with, like tablets, doesn't mean that they are good with all technology. And so using computers, um, laptops, Chromebooks, this might be completely new to many children when they enter grade uh, kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade three. They may never have used a computer with a mouse before, and all of a sudden, this might be all that they have access to. This reminds me of a great conversation we had with Beth Lyons, yeah. and she talked about that, that you know, younger students are so used to tablets and touch, That's that they, right. get, they get on the computer, and they're like... And they're, well, I don't know what to do. What is the square in the middle for? Why am I touching the screen and nothing's yeah, happening? That's right, exactly. So there's, there's a, a lot of room there for students to know a little bit more and uh, be open to that sort of functionality with uh, computer science. And so we really thank Daphne for bringing that information to us with her three enlightened minutes. And please go check out her books on Amazon. They are fantastic resources to bring into the classroom. But this is episode 62 on meditation. So let's get back to it. You know, meditation in my life personally um, I hated it when I was young because it was forced on me, right? Like, I, and when I. When, it's cultural though. Well, yeah. Well, kind of. What I stress now to my students is that uh, meditation has nothing to do with religion. Mm. But I was, I was not taught that when I was young. For me, prayer and meditation were the same thing growing I, up. I, th- I jumped in with that because when my class started to dive into meditation, we did some inquiry and we tried to make cultural connections and mm-hmm. the cultural significance, significances. And certain of our, some of our students were more inclined or more familiar with meditation and they made right. cultural yes. references and, and what their, their families did more often. So um, I, th- I, I really liked that take. Tell me more. Well, you know, as I was talking to my students, I, I did bring up the fact that meditation is, uh, is, you know, the prayer is almost a byproduct of meditation. Meditation is necessary because all of your body processes become regulated when you are meditating. And that is the perfect place for you to be when you are praying, because that is when you are able to really think about what you are praying because your creative mind is is working. Um, and so many, many different religions, actually, I think I read that almost every religion has scripture. Yeah, I know this story. I, I can't yeah. wait for you to drop this nugget. <laughs> so every, every religion has scripture that is written um, with, the, with the idea in mind that you repeat the lines uh, at the exact, exact timing of having five breaths per minute. So all scripture in, you know, the Bible, in, you know, the Guru Granth Sahib in Sikhism is, is all written, is meant to be read slowly uh, and so that you are regulating your breathing. Um, and scripture is meant to be read that way because the purpose of it is for you to be able to regulate breathing and be meditative with your reading. 
So I, I think the Torah as well is written mm-hmm. the same way. I recall, you, I th- believe you were doing your running yes. to either music or prayer, prayer, prayer so that it could regulate your, your pace. I and started, you were telling me this. Yeah, I started running to prayer because I know all of the prayers by heart because I grew up uh, reciting prayer when I was young. So I know them all by heart. And so when I'm listening to them, it's almost reflexive for me to start repeating it while I am uh, listening to it. So I am repeating it while I listen, which is forcing me to breathe in a very regulated way. And so I started listening to prayer, you know, like my, my parents would be so disappointed. Like you just started praying because you wanted to run better. Well, it worked, you know, didn't it? And so I started to listen to prayer while I was running because I wanted my breathing to be regulated. And when my breathing was regulated, I felt calmer and I felt my mind was clearer because the breathing was doing what it was supposed to be doing. And so that's my takeaway. While you are running, listen to prayer. It doesn't matter what religion the prayer comes from. The messages are all the same anyway, but that's a different conversation again. And what we're doing is what we are doing is we are regulating our breathing. I I just love that those connections. And so this episode has really made us think or made me think. And uh, and that's what's a great part about this episode. It's a great play to reflect on my, my teaching. It's a great way to sort of propel my teaching forward. And I started thinking, you know, what if meditation techniques have I been doing? I know which ones I've embedded this year. Where can I ascend to? What have I been doing in the past? And I think a lot of what I've learned about myself this year is typically, you know, generally, I've been an English and gym teacher and I've spent my afternoons in the gym. And a lot of time in a lot of our episodes and a lot of our content, I realized I've done this sort of, I'll call it periphery stuff, but it's really not. It's really, it's central. Um, But I've done a lot of this as part of being a PE teacher, physical education teacher. And so I've run wellness weeks where we've done meditation techniques and we've done yoga and I've embedded it that way. And I've realized that as a, a homeroom or an English teacher, I haven't done it as much or I haven't needed to do it as much because I knew I was doing it in that other sort of dual role as as the physical education teacher. I was doing a wellness week and and I would teach techniques and I would I remember one we were doing yoga and my class was doing yoga and we all know the greatest way of, of teaching is when students peer versus peer and I would coach my students and then my students would bring classes in and we would teach them they would teach other classes yoga and take them through a routine and so the the, the growth and the learning was sensational. But then I realized in this year, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer teaching gym. I'm just teaching everything. I have the same kids all day. And as a middle school teacher, that's, that's very odd. That's very different for me. And so I sort of said, what pieces was I doing as a gym teacher where I was attaching to every, to every class, every student in the school, where all of a sudden I'm not now. And now I need to be more intentional, specifically with my classroom. And so I know I've been doing the breathing and, and, uh, based on the book we were reading, and I was saying, kids, we're, you know, before we go in, let's pull our mask down, take a couple of good breaths, it's doing this, it's doing that, let's practice our counts, we want to make sure we inhale through our nose, because it's not as equal as inhaling through your, your mouth, and talking about the why, 
And then when we were getting ready for this episode and you were talking a lot about the meditation you were specifically doing in your class, I was like, you know what, I've almost dropped the ball on some of my meditation techniques and meditation activities because I'm not, I'm, I've, I've dropped them, you know, unintentionally because I'm no longer in that gym and no longer in that space. And a lot of what we do is often connected to by our space and our surroundings. I said, I got to bring meditation back into now embedding it into my home room because I wasn't used to it in the sense that I was so used to it. And this is what I talked about at the beginning, my my sort of the, my static natures. I was teaching a great lesson, but I was connected to me as the physical education teacher teaching a yoga unit and connecting it that way. And then when I came back into the, the classroom, all of a sudden, maybe I wasn't. And so I said, I got to get myself, you know, intentional now. I got to be really focused. And we talked about being intentional. And so how did I get my middle school kids started with meditation in the buy-in? And so we've t- we started with inquiry. It's like, students, what's, what's meditation? And what are its benefits? Where is it coming from? Tell me your story. How do you make a cultural connection? And then we just started to explore. And then we started to, to go through. And they found all kinds of great activities. And they ascended. And they discovered the breathing idea. Oh, Mr. Janey, here's the breathing stuff. I, I get it now. It's right here. And so for me, for my comfort levels, I knew I had been doing these activities but I connected it with me as the gym teacher. And then all of a sudden this year, I'm not doing the gym teacher. And maybe I'd let a few of them slide because all of a sudden it wasn't in, it wasn't in my normal patterns. And so I said, when you were telling me your stories, I said, well, I've, I've got to get into this. And I connected it back to the breathing because we had read that book on breathing in the summer. And so I knew I'd been very intentional in doing those breathing activities. And I said, let's, I got to ascend. I got to do more. And it connected to a little bit of the soundscape stuff because I've been playing a lot with music and sound this year and my room a lot more than I had, but I maybe hadn't given the why behind it or made the connection to meditation behind it. And so our students, my class, had this great explorative, inquiry-based introduction to meditation where they made connections to stuff we were doing, and now we're ascending to let's plan, let's be intentional, because they start to see the why, they, and, and not why that I'm telling them why, why that they've made some self-discovery. Oh, Mr. Cheney, look at this. This is why we should be doing that. And so when I think of how did I set my class up and how did I set myself up, it, it was those bases of inquiry, exploration, questioning, uh, stories, SEL, connecting to their stories. So when you were talking about culture, uh, cultural connections, it, a lot of my students had those really rich cultural connections. So when it came to how did I get myself out of sort of, I wouldn't, I don't want to say rut, you know, as I, as, as you use that word right at the beginning, things are different now. Now that I'm just have my same group of kids all to, all day, I have to find new ways of embedding things and connecting to things. Whereas the gym teacher, I was so comfortable doing things and then I was almost like let them go because I'm not the gym guy anymore. Yeah. Not, not, not purposefully. It's just out of that routine, you, you, you get fixated on different things. So I know in preparation for this episode, it immediately made me much more intentional with my class because I was still doing the breathing activities uh, and a few of those other activities. But when we started to talk about this, I said, oh, I've got I've to I've get ready for this. I, I'm, this is going to impact my teaching. Yeah. Students, how are we going to get involved? So we started with inquiry and exploration and discovery. I love that you started with the inquiry because it was a little bit different than in my class, right? Like you gave your class the opportunity to sort of explore the why behind meditation, whereas I went into my class and I just full force said, we're doing this. And here are the reasons why we're doing this, because I can see that you need it. 
And uh, this was like just the entire class, like you need this and I'm going to tell you why you need this. And so, and we're obviously a little bit younger than your class. And um, I think that you're completely right that as the students get older, they need a little bit more of that buy-in. And no, there's nothing, there's no... A thing better than really reflecting on students' stories to and their connections that they make to their stories um, that that provides that biggest buy-in. Uh, I remember the very first time that I saw somebody uh, not of my faith or culture using prayer beads, and I was like, "Wait, wait! Oh, I thought we use prayer beads." You know, like, why are other people using prayer beads? That's our thing. And and then that was that was the first, I was very young at the time, by the way, this was not like two weeks ago. Um, I was very young and I saw somebody else using, somebody that was obviously not of the same culture as I was, using prayer beads while they were praying. I think it was on a bus or something. And I was like, that's what my grandfather uses. And my grandfather just sits and he uses these prayer beads while he's just sitting. And I'd never really thought he's meditating. He's just sitting on the couch meditating right now. And, uh, you know, I never just, that was just always the thing that he did. I thought it was like a fidget toy, which I guess it sort of was. And I saw somebody else using prayer beads and I thought that was, for me, that was a very strong connection because it was the first time in my life that I had ever seen somebody doing something that was similar to my culture uh, where I didn't feel like I needed to assimilate to them it was almost like, hey, we were already doing this together at the same time. Meditation is not something that is exclusive. This is something that everybody does in one way, shape, or form. So the, the inquiry part of that is so strong because students start to make connections to their own faiths, cultures, family lives, and that is so important for getting students to buy in. This has been a great episode. It really has. I, I think I've only touched upon about 60% of my notes. I know. We decided during that break that we're going to have to do another episode that is something related to this, but a little bit different because there we, was. We just have to become more specific. Yeah, more specific. But we, right. we still have some swag bag, I think. You yeah. know, some things to talk about to, to take us out. But it's been a great episode. You know, a little long, but I'll blame. Um, you can blame me. It's okay. I'll take the blame. I was very passionate about this because it's important. Yeah, you were, mm-hmm. and and you were you were the it was your story, your anecdote that just made this content really valuable and something we wanted to talk about. So, we definitely got a swag bag for you yeah. as we sort of get into the idea of meditation in our classroom. And I think number one is that I don't even want to say number one, but it's something to think about is that it's about making sure our students are aware. This is a great way to process, understand, appreciate our emotions. Yes. I had number two. That was our why. I brought, I brought number two into things we could do. And I thought breathing was key. Breathing is something we can introduce yeah. right away. I think so too. We can talk about right away. So I had breathing. I had sound, yeah. music, soundscapes, escaping through music, embedding music and soundscapes into our spaces was another great way of soothing meditation, regulating our emotions. And I think I had my last one here for an immediate swag was movement. Yeah. yeah. Yoga, engaging, movement. And I think those were sort of the ones we wanted to talk about as sort of our, our key swag bag this one. We had that process emotions. Let's get into breathing. Let's embrace soundscape. And, and yoga is such a great way to embed movement in our meditation. And we thought those were just four good takeaways for this episode 
of 62 of the Staff Room Podcast. That's right. So thank you for joining us for this episode on meditation. Remember to inspire, don't require. Always be a humble servant. And education never dies. And of course, you can find us with Codebreaker, because we are ambassadors of the Codebreaker team. Our podcast is also found on the Teach Better Team podcast network, so please check us out there as well. You can also find us in our new live stream program with School Rubric Office Hours every second Tuesday live on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. And on Sunday evenings, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we host The Drive, a live radio broadcast on Voice Ed Radio. We play lots of great music and have lots of educational conversation at the same time. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us today in the staff room with Chain Path.